but I want to thank everybody for being here. Such an encouragement. See all of you that's come out, it's interested in studying God's Word, and, and hopefully we've been benefited from the things we've studied so far. Certainly we've been benefited by these songs. Wonderful singing. Good to hear all these voices and wonderful songs. A couple that's kind of new to me, but beautiful. One of my favorites is number 100 there, the Lamb of God. Beautiful song. Well, we really think what Jesus has done for us. And certainly we want to do what we're studying about, and that is overcome all things through His strength. I think that the Lord, all His glory of heaven, set that aside to come and to die. Not just any death, but to die on a cross. Go through crucifixion just so I could live. So that you could live. So that you can have forgiveness. So that when you die, that you can still live. Jesus said that I am the resurrection of the life. He says you'll live even if you die. He said if you believe in me, you'll never die. He asked Martha, do you believe that? you believe that? I believe it. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't give my life to preaching, I'll tell you that. I believe what I believe based on evidence. Not something out there, you know, I saw something the other day about faith and it being just like, they defined it as a leap in the dark. Just as something that you believe in that you can't put any, uh, you can't grab hold of it. That's not what I read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Is that what you read? It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's more proof of this, this right here than any other document that we have. Over 5,000 manuscripts that we have of the New Testament. Most historians give their right arms. They have that kind of evidence for what they teach in, in class. We've got it for the Bible. I believe it because it's real. And I see it in the lives of men who gave their lives for it. Men like the Apostle Paul. And he's the one who said, as we've talked about already, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, he said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. These lessons are to make us think about what we can do through Christ. And we can, as we've studied about, live holy in a digital world. With all the temptations that come along with all the media that we have, we can overcome and we can be holy. We talked about how Peter tells us to be holy for God is holy. God said this. Like the Holy One who called you be holy yourself, God said you be holy for I am holy. And this is talking to you. You as an individual must be holy. And you can be. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. Be holy. And God is holy, holy, holy. He wants you to be pure. It has to do with separateness. It has to do with being without blame. It has to do with purity. And you can be holy. That's a challenge. I'm not here to tell you it's easy. And neither did God say it would be, but He said with my power, by His strength. If it's easy, you wouldn't need power, would you? If it's easy, you wouldn't need strength. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His mind. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 6. He said, be strong. We just sang about it. You can be holy if you are strong and courageous. If you are not strong and you are not courageous, you will not be holy. And you can't do it by yourself. That's what we talked about. We're, we're in a 
spiritual battle against powerful forces of evil, principalities, headed by Satan. You'll never overcome them by yourself. But with God's strength you can. And we said that holiness is no, it's not optional. Now if you want to see God strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You, you've got to have holiness. And you can be holy. For a lesson in the second half of our study tonight, we're going to look at maintaining sexual purity, being holy sexually. This is something that is almost non-existent in our society today, is sexual purity. Our culture accepts and promotes the sexual relationship outside of marriage. And the sexual relationship outside of marriage is, is not considered, not is it just not considered wrong or not so bad. It's just normal for most people. They think nothing about it. And those who would abstain from the sexual relationship before marriage are viewed as a kook, as abnormal. That you're ridiculous and you're odd. In fact, many people are ridiculed if they try to remain sexually pure before God. We live in a time, and it's not getting any better, much like what you read in Isaiah chapter 5. You know, Isaiah started his book, chapter 1, talking about how sick they were spiritually. He described them as a body that was sick from head to toe. Had wounds and welts on the body. He said they're not pressed down. They're not. They didn't do anything to try to heal themselves, and that's the way our society is. It's a sick society spiritually, and it has spiritually has welts and wounds on it. And there's not many people doing anything about what they're doing and how they're living and how they're thinking. And in Isaiah five and verse twenty, Isaiah talked about people who said that. Evil was good and good was evil and light is dark and dark is light and, and we live in that kind of society though. Anything that's bad and corrupt and immoral, that's what everybody pushes and that's what everybody's for. And it's in our face to accept it. But we need to know what's right and what's wrong. We need to know what's truly evil and what's good and what's truly light and what's darkness. We need to know what's holy and what's not holy so that we can be holy. And when it comes to the sexual relationship, we need to be able to know what's right and wrong from God's Word so that we can maintain our sexual purity. And we can. We can. You can. If you'll follow God's Word. You know, the sexual relationship is in itself not sinful. It is not something that's ugly if it's fulfilled in the proper place. And the place that the sexual relationship is acceptable before God and honorable before God is in within the bonds of marriage. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God would judge. The sexual relationship, the marriage bed, is something that God approves of. It's something that, like I say, it's not ugly. It is something that is, God says, to be honored. It's an honorable thing when it's 
fulfilled in the proper place, and that's in the bonds of marriage. But make no mistake that the sexual relationship outside of marriage, which is called fornication, is sinful. And it's something God cannot tolerate. God, we said, is holy, holy, holy. He's pure. And God created man, and God created woman, and He made them where they could be in a sexual relationship, and He gave them the, the, the sexual feelings and desires. Those things are not wrong. But they're only to be fulfilled within the proper bounds, and that's within marriage. Anywhere else? It is sinful. And the Scripture tells us over and over that, that way. As we said there in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, He said, fornicators and adulterers God will judge. The Bible has a lot to say about the sexual relationship, both in and out of marriage, what He thinks about it. We can spend a whole other lesson. There's much in the Bible about maintaining sexual purity within marriage. This lesson has to do particularly about maintaining your sexual purity before you're married, especially to those who are, are single. doesn't have to be a person that's young, but mainly to young people before they get married. Talking about that. That's talking about fornication, sex before marriage. The sexual relationship before marriage is sinful. The sexual relationship, uh, in addition to uh, the one that you're married to, within the marriage, that's called adultery. And he says, God will judge both. He says, fornicators, those who have sexual relationship with someone before they're married, those who enter into marriage and that have other partners other than their, uh, their husband or their wife, he said, both of those things are sinful. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And God's going to judge. Judgment day is coming. I don't know when it's coming. If you mark it down, God says it's coming, it's going to come. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 5, verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for the deeds done to the body, whether good or bad. That's me, you, everybody. You go over to Revelation 20 and you can see the picture of it there. Everybody's going to be standing before the great white throne of God. Everything's going to be given up. Everybody's going to come to the grave. All going to go to judgment. Everybody's going to be there from Adam and Eve to the last person that was born. Everybody's going to be there. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. Cain and will be there. Noah and his family will be there. Pharaoh will be there. Moses will be there. Jezebel, Ahab, they'll be there. Elijah will too. They'll all be there. Everybody will be there. To be recompensed. Get what's due. In the day of judgment, whether good or bad. And he says, fornicators, God's going to judge. He says, First Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, this is the will of God for your sanctification. What's sanctification? Sanctification means set apart. You sanctify something, you set it apart. We said that has to do with Holiness, right? Holiness is separation, purity. God is completely separate from that which is evil. And when we come unto God, He makes us holy, right? He washes, we wash in the blood of the Lamb, and we're cleansed, we're made holy. We're set apart from the world and from sin. 
and he's writing to Christians and he's telling us to be holy. He says, for this is God's will for your sanctification. How do, how do you do that? He says that you abstain from sexual immorality, from fornication. If you want to be pure, holy before God, you've got to separate yourself from sin and some uh, of the things that the Bible relates to us that, that is sinful, he says one of those is fornication. You can't have anything to do with it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Who are saints? They're just people who are sanctified. That's who they are. A saint is a person who's sanctified. It's a person who's become holy. He wants to remain pure. You must maintain your sexual purity. And you can't. And God said, this is your, your sanctification. That you not have anything to do with immoral, sexual immorality. It can't be named among those who are saints. And the reason is, when you became a Christian, you put to death, you crucified. That's, Jesus died and was buried and was raised, and we died to sin, and we're buried with Him in baptism, and we're raised to walk in a whole newness of life. We said living a Christian life is a whole different way of thinking, right? The world doesn't think anything about committing fornication. And people are committing fornication from middle school up, and they think nothing about it. Parents think nothing about it. Parents think nothing about it themselves. Involving themselves many times in adulterous relationships, and they don't teach their children and children, young people, committing fornication. That's our society. But those who want to be holy put those things to death, crucified. You put to death that which is earthly, worldly. Satan's the prince of this world. You don't have anything to do with what he's got to do with. Put to death sexual immorality, fornication, or any kind of impurity or passion or evil desire. Don't have anything to do with it. He's trying to tell us in a way that cannot be misunderstood that fornication is something that God will not, cannot tolerate because it's sinful. And it'll keep you out of heaven. You come over to Galatians chapter 5. And verse 19, he starts talking about the deeds of the flesh. And you're familiar with this passage, I'm sure. The deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, they're evident, he says. And he starts out saying, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. He goes on to list some other things. And then he said, and things like these, verse 21, which I forewarn you, and have forewarned you that you, those who practice such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just, just mark that down. What does he say? Sexual immorality. Fornication is something that if you practice that, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Don't have anything to do with it. Make up your mind as a person who is a young person who is not married, make up your mind, I want to go to heaven, I want to be holy, I want to do what God wants me to do, and make up your mind, no matter what everybody else at school is doing, no matter what everybody else at work is doing, no matter what everybody else does on television or whatever, that you're going to be holy. That you're going to remain pure. 
That's the bottom line of this lesson. That you make up your mind that you are going to wait because God said wait. You know, there's some young people, and I, and this kind of attitude can creep into those who uh, are claiming to be Christians. Sometimes, you know, when we talk about holiness, some people have what I call cultural holiness. Now, whatever culture is doing, whatever society is doing, you know, what they're cultural holiness, the standard just moves all the time, you know. It's holy if I think it's all, all right, then it's holy. You know, if everybody's, if everybody's doing it, then it, it's holy enough. God's holy. That standard doesn't change. And God's standard for our holiness doesn't change. It's the same now as it was when He said, I am holy, therefore I want you to be holy. Though some people, their holiness kind of goes with whatever culture does. Well, culture says, you know, it's okay. Some people have in mind, well, as long as I don't just commit the act, those I don't go all the way and commit fornication, then I can be involved in all kinds of things that are that are close to that, but I'm not going to go that far. And they handle each other and involve themselves and think, and they think that's okay. I want to tell you that the Bible condemns that too. Right along with sexual immorality that those who practice such will not enter the kingdom of God. Notice this word sensuality. What's that talking about? The King James Version there says lasciviousness. What's that word? I want to tell you, if you don't know what it is, you better learn what it is. Fact of the matter, whenever you're reading the Bible and you, you see a word you don't understand, get you a dictionary. Look it up. The Word of God is that God, the Holy Spirit didn't waste any ink. <laughs> it's all there for us. And we need to take care with reading the Bible. Come across a word like lasciviousness, what does it mean? Sensuality tells you a little bit more, doesn't it? That's the New American story. You look it up, see what it says. There says that this word means the absence of restraint. It has to do with indecency, wantonness, indecent bodily movement, and the unchaste handling of males and females. Some people say, well, we can, as long as we don't go too far. He says, if you have an indecent bodily movement and handling one another in a way that's wanton and lewd and indecent, he says that sensuality, that's lasciviousness, it will too keep you out of the kingdom of God, keep you from inheriting. You must not be involved in things that are sinful and make up your mind then I'm not going to do that if you want to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, we say. Jesus said, for they shall see God. Keep your heart pure, keep your actions pure. That's what being holy is all about. Understand about being holy and using your body as it ought to be to understand who your body belongs to. Your body belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. God created you and you belong to the Lord. And therefore your body is not to be used for sinful things, whatever it is. And it's certainly not to be used for fornication. 
That's not its purpose for God creating your body. He says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13 that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. He said God will destroy both one and the other. Notice he says the body is not meant for fornication. It's not meant for sexual immorality. That's not why God created you. But He created you for Him, for your service to Him. He says your body's been created for the Lord and the Lord for the body. When a person becomes a Christian, his whole life is given to God. Is your life completely given to God? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, He said, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. What kind? A holy sacrifice. Our life as we live is to be like a holy sacrifice unto God, which he says is our spiritual service of worship. And we talked about verse 2 earlier. He said, therefore, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To live your life holy as a holy sacrifice that's completely given to the Lord, that's crucified to all things that are wrong and sinful, including sexual immorality, is a whole different way of thinking, we say. world just don't think that way. world thinks it's all right. world makes fun of you if you don't. God says, if you're involved in it, you're no part of me. You've got to be holy. He says, if you involve yourself in those types of things, you involve yourself in sin, he says, you'll not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You involve yourselves in sin, you don't wait, you don't make up your mind to separate yourself and be sanctified, set apart, be holy, be pure. You won't see me, God says. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, we said, you know, the Lord's going to come in judgment. And Paul says there, reminds us, reminding them, he said, to give relief to you and us as well when the Lord will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. He's talking about the time when he's going to come in judgment. He's going to come. Mighty angels, flaming fire. What's going to happen? He says he's going to deal out retribution. Again, that's a recompense, right? Given what's due. Deal out retribution on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said these will pay the penalty of destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. He said, you won't see me. That judgment comes. Friend, you're going to want to see God. You don't want to be separated from Him for eternity. And destruction away from the glory of His power. Your body belongs to Him. And it's to be used to serve Him. The only time that your body is to be given to another person is in marriage. The person that you marry, then you belong to them, and they belong to you, and you become one. But till then, do not use your body as an instrument of sin. In fact, he says... If you're tempted with sexual immorality, if you're ever tempted to commit fornication, he said, you run from it. You flee from it. You flee fornication. 
Do not use your body. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. It's for the Lord's service. And he says, you flee fornication. He said, every other sin that a person commits, he said, it's outside the body. But he says, the sexually immoral person, he sins against his own body. He said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own, that you were bought by price, with a price? He said, so glorify God with your body. You belong to Him. And you use your body to serve Him and glorify Him. You be holy, for He's holy. And you can be. If you'll flee fornication. Flee it. Do not use your body as an instrument of sin. If you wait, you meet the right person, and you are married in a covenant relationship before God, then your body will belong to that person and them alone. It's not why you're going together. It's not why you're engaged. It's not until you are united together as one by God and the Holy The desire can become temptation to fulfill that before you get married. Now, you look at the Song of Solomon there, and several times as they go through this courtship, She speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem and tells them, please, please, don't awake love until it pleases. What she is telling those daughters and telling herself and reminding herself as she's fallen in love with the, the king of Israel, to wait. And that's what you've got to do. You look at Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 7. This is one of, one of the places. We'll just look at verse 2. You know, he's really bragging on her. <laughs> he thinks she's, she's beautiful. Like a lily, this is 2 and verse 2, like a lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so my beloved are among young men. Now, she, she looks at him and he, he's just beautiful to her. He says, in the shade I take great delight and sit down and fruit was so sweet to my taste. They're, they're enjoying their time together and his banner over me is love, she says. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples because I'm lovesick. You ever been that way? I remember the first time I saw Robin. We've been married to be 34 years coming out. First time I saw her, she's 14 years old, had red high top tennis shoes on. But man, she was pretty. Good basketball player. You have just been love sick. Let his left hand be under my head and let his right hand embrace me. She, she desires to be with him and to be with him physically, but then she stops. Wait right there. Verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until it pleases. She's saying, wait. Wait. I'm going to preach this rest this way. Am I good? Oh, I'm going to get over here. On one side. Let me see here. 
don't remember why I did, where I'm at. It's moved. Here it is. Let's see. I think I got to open this first. We'll do two things at once. It's hard for me. Um, you look at chapter three and verse five. Same thing. And the farther they go in their relationship together, the more they fall in love and the more they want to be with one another. That's just a natural thing. But she says in verse 5, I adjure you, she stops, by the daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the hinds of the field, that you do not awake or rouse love until it pleases. says it several times through the book of Song of Solomon. And we don't have time to go through all of it, but when you skip to the very end of it, it talks about her brothers. It, evidently, I don't know if she doesn't have a father. It seems to be implied in the text that she doesn't have a father and her brothers, her older brothers, are trying to keep her, to keep her holy. And they talk about when she was little. Verse 8, we have a little sister, she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister one day when she's spoken for? If she is a wall, we'll build a battlement of silver. But if she's a door, we'll barricade her with planks. See, as a young person who is trying to be holy, you can be one of two things. You can be a door or you can be a wall. Most of the people in our society are a door. They're loose, lewd, and they're living. And they many times have many sexual relationships before they're married. And in doing so, they give away what belongs rightly and only to the person that they were going to marry. Your body is only to be given to one whom you marry. Do not share it with any other. For the wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does. And you're not to give your body to anybody but the one to whom you will be married to. And if you give yourself through sensuality every time, that an individual involves themselves in sensuality, and certainly if they involve themselves in the sexual relationship before marriage, they're giving away something that they can't get back. Now, you can get forgiveness, but there's consequences. You can never get back what you give away. And when you use your body as an instrument of sin, through sensuality or sexual immorality, you're giving away what rightly belongs only to the one that you will eventually get married to. And you'll have to deal with that. So save yourself and wait, wait, wait. Like it says all through the Song of Solomon. Like I said, I wish we had time to go through the old book of Song of Solomon. We don't have time. But over and over it says, do not awake love till, it please, till it's time. Well, what did she do? Her brother says that she's a wall will build a battlement of silver on her. If not, we're gonna, they're going to try to keep her pure, holy. Verse 10 of chapter 8, she said, I was a wall. 
Then I became in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon was thankful that he married a woman who waited, who was pure, who was holy. And over in the middle here, it talks about their their marriage and and uh, when they finally come together. And it's a beautiful thing. They describe each other and they talk about their love for one another and they're finally in the sexual relationship together. And it's though God speaks in this song in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. And he, he speaks of it as a banquet that now they're able to partake of and enjoy and it's a full of blessings to have this relationship with one another. And he says, eat, friends, drink, and imbibe, O lovers. God gives his approval of it just like he did in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. That marriage is honorable. It's to be held in honor. But only when it's fulfilled in the right place. Otherwise it's sin. Why does God not want us? To be involved in sexual immorality, to have a sexual relationship before we're married. You see, God only wants what's good and what's best for you. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Everything's good about God. And He's only going to want what's good for you. And so if He tells you to wait, Understand that to wait is going to cause you to have great, wonderful blessings within marriage. And if you don't wait, there's going to be consequences. Understand that He's created you. He's created your desires, and God knows what's best, where and how those desires to be fulfilled. Just a little off after all this thing, but we can read it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows more than what we could ever imagine. You know, twice in the Scriptures it says, there's a way that seems right unto man, the way thereof is death. We, we think we know. And sometimes when we're tempted, we think we know what's best, but God knows what's best. He says, you be holy. And He tells us to wait. He tells us that the sexual relationships be fulfilled in marriage, and if we wait then, and fulfill it there, then it's a wonderful blessing that's pure and that's honorable. Just as we saw there in the book of Song of Solomon. <clears throat> but as we close, I know our time's running short, but I, I want to give you some essentials. Some essentials for maintaining sexual purity. <laughs> I'm going to give you six. Number one, when you're tempted with fornication, as we read a while ago, you flee. That's number one. And most people, sometime in their young adulthood, are going to be tempted to commit sexual immorality. Especially in the society in which we live in today, it's very likely. Maybe you've already faced it. But when you face it, you run from it just like a burning building. 
I don't know if you know, I've seen a few things on television tonight. They just had some shows when I've been flipping through as I was eating lunch. Some um, shows on 9-11 about the, the Twin Towers falling. You know, when those when that happened, what did people do? They ran. Once it could ran. They ran for their lives. You need to run from fornication. This is hard as you can run. Flee from it, he said. If you find yourself in a tempting situation, use the escape that God has promised to provide. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and He has made a promise to you in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 that no temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. Somebody say, oh, but you don't know how I'm tempted. I might not. But somebody has been tempted just like you. There's no new temptation. Sin is sin that's been around. But most of us are tempted in the same way. But he says, there's no temptation that, that's overtaken you that such is common to man. But God is faithful. And He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, will provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Now, the escape might not be easy. It may be. Maybe just get out of there. It may not be easy. You know, if I was in a burning building, I might have to duck, drop and roll and crawl and go through the smoke. But if I can see a little bit of light out there, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to flee. I'm going to get out. I'm going to crawl, but I'm going to get out. You find yourself in a tempting situation when it comes to sexual immorality, you get out of there. God will provide you a way out. He won't tempt you more than what you can take. Now, don't get to thinking, oh, I'm handling it this time. You know what he said in the verse right before this? He said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest you fall. What you better do is use the escape. Don't think you can handle it, because you can't handle it. Satan is behind temptation and sin, and you can't handle Satan. Not by yourself. With God you can. Through him you can do all things. You'll be strong and courageous and smart enough to do what he says. Number two, you stay away from tempting places. It's not a good thing for a drunkard, an alcoholic, to go in a bar. I knew a guy, bad alcoholic, talk with him, work with him. He'd go in a bar. Don't go in a bar. That's just not a good place. That's a tempting place. That's the last place you need to go. You don't want to be tempted with sexual immorality. You know, any place where you might be tempted. You avoid it. Always avoid being in a house or an apartment alone. You're just asking for trouble. Making a point, don't do that. Don't be parking in hidden places. Spend your time together around your family, around your friends. There's going to be some time when you'll be alone, but you make that alone time in a public place, around place, and where, where it's stay away from tempting places. Be picky about who you date. Start with. Ask yourself, and I, some of you, and some of you are dating out. Some of you are going to be dating. Every person you date, go out report. 
is the potential person that you may marry. Say, well, I'm not going to marry. Well, don't be like a kid that's got a bunch of toys and is so spoiled that, you know, they just take, that, if that's the reason you're dating, you don't need to be dating. You just take the toy and it gets tired of it and throws it over and gets another one. You know, if that's the way you're dating, you're doing the wrong thing to start with. Every person that you may date may be a, pers- a potential person that you may marry. And so you ask yourself, is this person someone who would help me get to heaven? While I'm dating this person to see if they are somebody that's compatible with me, somebody that I do love, will they help me maintain my holiness in this relationship? If not, you're dating the wrong person. If they don't protect your soul, they are not a soulmate. Some people get involved with somebody that says, oh, I love them. Uh, you know, and they're, they're trying to get them to commit fornication, be involved in sensuality. Oh, they're soulmate. If that person's not concerned about you to do what's right and do what's holy, if they're not protecting your soul, they're not a soulmate. Get you somebody else. Communicate about it. Talk about it. Let them know where you, where you stand. I'm holy, going to be holy. Going to strive to be holy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I want to be what God wants me to be. Talk about your determination to be pure. Talk about your, how purity before God must. It's imperative. It's going to be maintained. And set your boundaries beforehand. Don't wait till it's, you know, problems and say, well, here's what we need to do. I don't want to do this anymore. No, set your boundaries to start with and then stick with it. Number five. Don't send false signals by the way you dress. You expect that person to be holy and maintain themselves and do what? Then, you know, you've got to be pure if you expect somebody else to be pure. So don't be sending the wrong. Sometimes girls get too flirty. Boys may take it wrong. Boys can do the same thing. Don't send false signals. Watch how you dress. Be modest in your dress. Be mo- it's not just dress, is it? We talked about that. It's, a, it's an attitude. Be modest in your attitude. Don't just talk about purity. Be pure. It's the only way to maintain your sexual purity. You've got to be pure. And lastly, read God's Word. Pray together. Remind yourself what God's Word says about sexual purity. Look at those passages we just talked about. Read them over and over and over. Read them together. And pray about your goals that you set. Pray together. That'll help you be strong. Jesus said, pray that you might not be led into temptation. Pray that together. If you're reading God's Word and praying about it, praying that you might not be led into temptation, it's going to help you be strong and courageous together with a person that you may fall in love with. And just like Sheila McQueen, when she looked at him, oh, she was a little lovesick. You may get to that point. But you wait. And then when you're married, then the desires can be fulfilled where they're supposed to be fulfilled. And God says that is a wonderful blessing that is to be honored by all. But you have to maintain your sexual purity to enjoy it. That blessing is God would have it to be. And you can. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But you can do nothing without it. Nothing.
Without Him, you can't be saved. It might be that you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Can't be saved without the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing is found in Christ Jesus. You can have them all. If you're in Him. But if you're out of Him, you don't have one of them. The way you get in Christ is to be baptized into Christ. You know everything else is unto? You believe unto, you confess unto, you repent unto, but you're baptized into Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, he said, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ and baptized into his death? That's where you reach your saving blood. It might be that you're here and you've never obeyed Christ through repenting and being baptized. I want to encourage you to do that tonight. The step more you at, say, I want to be a Christian. Greg will assist you in that. And you can know that you can have your sins washed away, and he will make you pure and holy. And then you can have his strength, all the blessings, to be able to do whatever it is that you need to do, to maintain your purity in every aspect of life, and be saved in the end. If you've done that in the past, but not been living like you ought to, you can repent. That's your things, the things that are wrong in your life, and He is faithful and righteous to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You'll come right now when we stand and sing the song.